joined this week by Darren Westall from Pager, uh, business he started himself. Um, Darren, a passionate entrepreneur who's uh, finding a lot of traction in the market for his Pager platform uh, at a time when um, you perhaps wouldn't want to launch a business necessarily. Um, it was great to chat to him, hear about how the idea for Pager came about, the internal battle that he went through to get to a point where he, he could throw himself at making what really is a passion project a reality. Uh, and also just have a chat around his thoughts on entrepreneurship in general and, and, and what he sees as his plan for the future. The conversation covers a lot of ground from starting a business, bootstrapping a startup with, with little to no finance, uh, marketing without a marketing budget. Um, you know, quite quite relevant for, for, the, for the world we live in at the moment and, and clearly working for Pager despite the economic environment we were all in. So well worth a listen, uh, get some great ideas and inspiration and check out Pager. Uh, thanks, Darren. You've come up with the term marketing, which very accurately, for someone who lives and breathes this, um, describes the challenge that I would say all businesses, especially B2B, want to have. So why don't, why don't we take a, a dive into marketing um, and, and how you've you've kind of created that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's an interesting one because I'm not a sales guy and I'm not a marketing guy, but as a business owner, what I will say is you are you are everything. So I do sales, I do marketing, but my my background is obviously tech and the inspiration for for pager and, and the fact we're a marketing tool actually came from from a lunch i had uh, with the marketing director at the time at broadbean um i i just remember going to lunch and she was incredibly pissed off um like royally 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 upset and um i think we actually i remember i had a pint and she had she had a vodka i won't name any names because we shouldn't be drinking at lunch times but you know it's what happens um so and i remember saying to her that what what's what's wrong and she was like well i've just spent nigh on ten thousand pounds on this white paper you know by the time we've produced it done all the research and got everything got it all put together and i sent it to the sales team to share and not a single person did it and she was so frustrated because everything that marketing do is is to deliver um mqls and marketing qualified leads to the sales team so they can convert them um and then i, I got chatting to the sales team because i was in in between both of the departments i actually spoke to both sides of the coin um always in the pub i must add um and the sales guys sort of their biggest complaint about marketing was that they don't deliver any leads and, and the leads they do deliver aren't qualified so it was it was just a real disconnect between the two um and i looked at how we could actually solve that problem with technology so number one for marketing is they want they want sales people to share the content they know that the sales people have got the the bigger networks they're connected to the people they prospect on linkedin it's and the most frustrating thing for for marketers usually is that when salespeople talk to somebody they hardly ever follow that brand they don't connect with the company's linkedin page the company's facebook page they connect with that individual that individual is the brand they represent the brand and and marketing don't have access to that person they're not on any email list they're not signed up to to any of their their funnels they've got set up the only way to reach that person is through that salesperson so marketing need them to share that content. So the first thing we went to set out to solve is, well, why don't people share content? So we looked at the delivery mechanism and, and what we used to do at Broadbean and, and I now know we do, every, every company does similar, is we used to get an email sent around the office saying, could you all, could you all like and share this? And you know, as part of the, the leadership team, I should, have been, I should have been taking action on that. But I, I'll be the first one to hold my hands up and say, I, I hit delete, I, I ignored it, it went to the bottom of my inbox. And the reason for it was my inbox was actually my to-do list. I used to 
Um, obviously, everyone does, but in Outlook, you've got the flag system and, and Gmail, you've got the stars. I, I starred things, I flagged things. And that, that was what I worked on daily. I had that, that was my priority list. And actually anything that came into that inbox that wasn't a priority, wasn't going to make its way onto that list, was just noise, absolutely noise. And that's what marketing was seen as. So we, we straight away wanted to move away from that. I also got speaking to um, one of the sales guys and it turns out they use a few other platforms. And I, I don't think it's fair to talk about competition or anything like that, but there's a few platforms out there that the, the way they try to solve it is they, they give your salespeople a platform for them to log into. Mm. Um, so the idea is they sort of download like a branded mobile app and it's all shiny. It's really great, it's shiny and, and shiny thing to play with. And for the first three months, it probably is effective because uh, everyone is bought in, they're downloading the app, but it relies on them to remember to, to actually log in, to, to do it and um, push notifications. Again, there's, there's a lot of noise there, so they, they miss them. Um, and it also then in, introduces choice. And I'm a big believer that if you give somebody choice, quite often the choice they make is to walk away. So <laughs> if you say to a salesperson, this is the three pieces of content we produced this week, which one do you want to share? The, the answer is probably none because they're having to think too much about it. So we, we've kind of took away the, the choice that they have to make and also the delivery mechanism. We, we introduced the idea of SMS. So it's something that everybody's got. It's everybody, there's nothing for them to download. They, they literally have to reply yes to a text message. So we give the marketers the ability to schedule their posts onto their, onto their employees' networks. The employee gets notified about it. So they actually have to say yes to the text message for it to go out. That's another key thing. But the moment they say yes, it goes out to their LinkedIn. It goes out to their Twitter if they've got it connected. So for marketing, it, it means their the participation of sales is greatly increased. For the sales teams, it removes the need of choice. It makes it a one-click action. It removes it from their inbox because their inbox is there is where they live and breathe. It's, it's where all their ROI comes from. If they've got their deals going into there, they've got everything going into there. You don't want to touch their inbox. So by moving it to the SMS, it's a one-click action, removes the choice. But the key thing is they still get to approve it. So the other way that I saw companies trying to solve this problem, if it wasn't through the, the sort of the app side of things, it was to literally say to the salespeople, we'll, we'll, we'll take over your personal brand. Give us your LinkedIn username and password. We'll post it for you. And it's a terrible idea because that salesperson needs to know what's going out. Uh, it leads to embarrassing situations. If you imagine salesperson's on the phone to a prospect and the prospect says, oh, I saw what you posted on LinkedIn the other day. It was really insightful. The salesperson sits there and goes, what the, what the hell did I post? It, it just leads to really awkward conversations offline. So you, you still need your salesperson to be bought into marketing. You still need them to know why they're sharing it and you still need them to take that action. And actually it brings you closer together. So the whole marketing thing is, is sales and marketing working together to increase leads, increase revenue. All, all the things we know come from a good sales and marketing relationship. And pager is, is the glue that sits in between. We get your sales team sharing content. We get them bought into it. Um, and the most important thing after that is we let you report on this impact as well. So we, we track how many likes, comments, clicks they get. So you can actually celebrate the wins with the business. So where I said the other platforms fall off after, say, three months, because we give you the data you need, you can build that into your, your internal marketing. Um, so I'm a big believer that marketing inside inside b2b businesses at least need to market themselves inside the business and um, the best ones do so in your sort of monthly newsletter whatever you may be sending out you should be celebrating those wins you know, if somebody's delivered the most clicks this month shout about it that will incentivize your other sales teams one thing we do know is sales people are competitive so they want to be on that email they want to be mentioned so we give you all that data but then we also plug into your google analytics so we we recognize that one of the hardest things in marketing is to 
to say what the ROI is. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you experienced this yourself, yeah, but we, we we wanted to make sure that if if people said to us, "What do you actually deliver?" It's not just you know the usual time saving, cost saving, um, traffic. It's actually we can prove to you that we delivered this lead. So we plug into Google Analytics using UTM codes. So you can actually then look further down the funnel to say, well, the people from Pager signed up to this newsletter, they signed up to this, which then put them into automated uh, marketing funnels, whatever it may be, they requested a demo, they visited your pricing page, whatever it may be, we made sure that we can plug in. So for the first time, you sort of get a 360 view of who's sharing, who isn't sharing, the people that are, what's the social impact of that, so your brand awareness, your social reach, and actually what's the impact further down the funnel on that as well. So that's, that's kind of where we see it. And it all came from a, a lunch with a frustrated um, marketing director um, who was hitting the vodka too hard. <laughs> just something just, I don't know, if, if any employer came to me and said, by the way, as, as part of your kind of conditions to work for, for this business, we will control your LinkedIn. I, I, I wouldn't work there. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because that's, and again, that's why we started in recruitment. It's, I think it's a lot more common in recruitment um there's it written into contracts for recruiters is that the the business owns the linkedin profiles you know during that time wow. they have the right to delete them when you leave and all, all of these things that it, it's utter nonsense um i believe and actually what's what's been quite amusing for me to watch is is as um as lockdowns happen as people have been put on furlough the the business owners that were claiming they own your linkedin are now proclaiming no we don't it's personal you can still use it you can still use it even though you're on furlough go ahead um, it's just interesting to see that shift where when it suits them, actually, they realize LinkedIn is a personal platform. Right. Your person needs to be in control. And I think that's going to be a permanent shift um, because people don't want to be in the same situation again. You need to give your salespeople the freedom to express themselves on LinkedIn. Um, you can give them guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. But LinkedIn is a huge, huge sales driver if you can get your personal brand right. Um, and it's it's something that people need to embrace. It, it will... I, I, social settings being spoke about for so long i get it but i've let me t- i've never made a single cold call actually that's, that's a lie sorry i made one cold call i had a hundred percent hit rate and they went on to be our biggest client but it, it petrified me absolutely petrified yeah. me <laughs> yeah the idea of picking up the phone and being rejected all day long you know isn't isn't for me and linkedin is your way around that if you're in b2b sales your audience is on there you just need to deliver value and they will come to you that's the key thing yeah yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I tried it once for a day, and hated it. And I'm and I'm and I was at a point in my life where I was pretty used to being said, told no, um, and yet I still, um, I, I just could not face picking up another kind of number, dialing it, and asking them if they wanted to. I won't name the company. I was with, but do do you want to buy this? I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I just didn't have the, um, the confidence to hear no one more time um, and, I, and I have a lot of respect for the people who are in that industry some of them are a bit dodgy you know trying to sell you PPI and all that kind of stuff but the, the good kind of outbound telemarketing demand gen lead gen however you want to describe them in, in B2B organizations is, is often a proven ground for very good salespeople. Um, but yeah I, I think your way's better <laughs> um, and certainly, yeah. certainly on a personal level is, is one that I would rather rather adopt um every day of the week and it, it's because i don't have a background in sales right they cold calling is still a very very effective way i'm just saying i don't have i don't have it in me to, to be told no 100 times a day i just don't um 
you know, so I, I very quickly, I set the business up to be marketing led and given our market, actually, I think, I think marketers are the hardest people to sell to because you, it's, it's a funny one because if you, somebody visits your website and they see retargeting adverts on Facebook for anyone else, it's magic. They're like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. How did that happen? How did it know I was here? When with marketers are like, Oh, for God's sake, there's a retargeting advert telling me to come back to the website, to sign up for the content session. So they can then put me in their automated email workflow so that I can get five emails. And on the fifth email, they try and sell to me. I honestly believe marketers are the hardest people to sell to. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that completely because we know all the tricks. We, we, yeah. we know what, all ah, right. So you're, you're taking us through that sequence. Ah, I get it right. Yes. Yeah. So if I click here, I know that the next email I get is going to be about this. Um, yeah. So very early on, we took the view that we need to build community. We need to deliver value and, and embed ourselves in the community. So the, the content we put out isn't really about pager. It's about marketing, you know, how to, how to measure things in Google Analytics. Yeah. It does lead into pager, but it's all, it's all value driven. Um, and, and also the way people buy has changed. If we think about it, you know, the, the software that I buy into the business, number one, I I've gone to Google. I've searched for the problem I'm trying to solve. I then probably went to some review sites, looked at what people are saying. And then I took free trials on two or three of them. Um, and then I picked out the one that I, I prefer, maybe the one that did have the best support, but it's, it's very driven by the problem. Um, whereas every other sales approach, you're, you're trying to educate them on the problem first. Whereas if you're, if you're solving the problem and people find you through looking to solve that problem, automatically everything else flows so much easier. You know, your, your time to close your, your time to build your time to get them up and running on the platform and your probably long-term relationship with them is different because they came to you and it's the way I buy software. It's the way everybody buys software these days. Yeah. So if you can, if you can do problem led sales, um, it's a lot better. And that's what we're trying to get to. We, we haven't sold it completely. Don't get me wrong. We still do cold calling. We still do all the things, but a lot of what I'm using the lockdown time for is to make sure that when people look for the problems that we solve, we're, we're, we're there. We're, we're part of the party. So our SEO strategy um, our pay-per-click, our AdWords campaigns, all, all of that stuff we're, we're working on right now just to make sure that we're there when people look for the problem that we solve, um, which is sales and marketing that working closely together. Hmm. And so how, so, so you talked about a really great phrase, bootstrapping your, your startup. Um, is that a philosophy that you want to continue? And obviously don't give away any commercial sensitivities here, but, um, or, or uh, you know, the, the, the word that you, you hear a lot at the moment is scale. Um, is there aspirations to get funding and go big scale or what's, what's kind of your, your goal for, for pager? So one of the reasons that I, I, I was unhappy at Broadbank um, wasn't, it was because of the type of acquisition we went through. So I've, we've been, when was the first acquisition? I think it was about eight, eight years before. Um, but the last one was by private equity. And there's, there's obviously two types of private equity. It's people that invest and people that for being honest, squeeze for profit. Yeah. Um, and I very early on decided I didn't want to, to have to go to board meetings, put together these sorts of reports, at least for the next you know, four or five years. I really want to be in control of everything that Pager does, which is why we were able to move so quickly um, and keep that flexibility. So we're not looking to, to raise money right now, being really honest. We don't need to. Um, we've, we've hit some really good revenue numbers. and we, we grow, We're growing. We should grow by 200% this year. Um, and we're, we're looking to further that the next year after so it's um yeah it's crazy crazy absolutely crazy time um we're we before lockdown we just we just um signed up for an office in london so 
hopefully we get back to that but it had space for, for 15 people um so i'm hoping we can go on our, our hiring spree when this is over uh, it's it's literally a case now of like you say scaling the business but we're We've got the we've got a steady footing and we're a, a good place, um, a good place financially, but also a good place in the product. I think one of the things people try and do quite often is, is try and scale the business too early, and um, when the product's not quite ready. Um, and one of the things that I've learned is we've, we've obviously we've been in recruitment now for for eighteen months, and as we as we look to come out of it to be a tool for any B two B marketer, we've absolutely used our, our time in recruitment to, to nail down the product and. You know, our roadmap is very, very clear on what we're building, but also it's a very sturdy product. You know, the, the bug reports are, are, are very low and the, the onboarding steps are very clear. We, we at the point where we can send somebody a URL and they can sign up themselves, um, go through the onboarding steps and not have to talk to us if they don't want to. Um, so we're, yeah, we've definitely nailed down the product. So the product's ready to be scaled. And we're just implementing, um, right now we're implementing credit card payments so we can move away from, from all the forms and stuff like that. So we'll be able to offer that, that trial and uh, that conversion. So true SaaS business. Um, so we're, we're moving towards that probably by the end of next month. So we're at that point, hopefully that coincides with the, the world coming back to normal a little bit and we can push the button on that scaling project. Um, but everything, everything we've done up to now is to enable us to do that, but without, without having to take on investment and being really honest, have someone to answer to right now. Uh, that's one of my enjoyments of the business is that, myself and Kelly, we can make decisions very, very quickly um, and yeah, move the business forward very quickly as well. Yeah. And, and as, as it changes and, and you know, 200% growth, even with everything we're going on, it's just absolutely phenomenal. So, so absolute congratulations on that one. Um, do you think you'll change as, a, as the leader of the business, as, as, as the business does get that little bit bigger as, as the year, year, the next year or so, two years goes on? Do you think you'll change how you're involved in the business will change? Will it have to change? I think, I think I'll get less involved in the tech side, which is ironic given the background, but I think well, that's why I asked the question actually, because um, it was it, listening to the passion you have when you talk about it. It's thinking it's actually as a CEO uh, and I've seen it in other businesses is the, the ability to let go is, is probably the hardest thing. Um, sorry, I interrupted you there, but that was—I just had to say that's absolutely why I asked the question. So it was almost a leading question. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right that the the first sort of senior role within the business, the sort of C level role, if you like, will be will be a CTO role. Um, because as much as I enjoy it, it can also be quite dangerous, you know, because I'm involved in sales conversations. If somebody says, "Oh, if you can do this, we'd, we'd sign up," I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, "Well, I know I can do that. I, I, I can definitely code that." But that's not the way to run a business. You know, you need to be having scopes of works and, and build it into your roadmap and actually deliver on your roadmap. So somebody else actually needs to take control of that. Because if I'm spending my time coding, it means I'm not investing in people and not I'm not doing things like this. You know, this is a great conversation. But if I was busy coding right now, um, I, I wouldn't get things done. And I also think it's it's very easy to fall back into what you know. So the moment that um, the lockdown hit, I rather than you know, call clients and say, you know, how's business? I found myself doing a lot more coding. You know, I was, I was developing stuff when, I, and I guess burying my head in the sand a little bit. Uh, I, I think that's very easy to do. Uh, as a business owner, you go back to what you know. I think probably most businesses owners are, are ex-sales people. I imagine they, they got involved in sales and like, oh, I'll show you, that, you know, the world is dead, we can do new business. That's not what they should have been doing. They should have been coaching their team on how to do it. Um, and same with me, I should not have been coding away. I should have been, 
calling clients and saying house business and that's like i say it probably took me about a week a week of lockdown and uh yeah to realize that i've i've done what all the books say you're going to do you're going to put your head in you're going to go back to what you know so that that role is absolutely the role that i think would change um and that's where i spend less less time still have the passion for it don't get me wrong but less hands-on uh, on the day-to-day development yeah but all exciting stuff oh absolutely and uh just put it out there there's no better feeling by the way than making a sale um over 10 years of, of being a developer you know i've committed a lot of projects i've i've put some great features live the even the smallest deal gives me a, a buzz like nothing else so if anyone's wondering why sales people love what they do you've got to try it just <laughs> you actually have to try it it's a it's an unreal feeling um when when somebody buys from you um so yeah i'm just putting it out there that i do enjoy sales i do enjoy the business side uh, and the the thrill thrill of the chase the thrill of the signing somebody is, is absolutely real yeah yeah i can imagine and, and probably all the more sweeter for when it's something that you've you've built and developed yourself um, yeah i mean my first my first deal i i'll be honest i ran around my living room like an absolute crazy man um and it was it was only small you know don't get me wrong it was not gonna it wasn't gonna change my life but at that point in time it felt like it changed my life it really did but that's good that's good and actually I, it's something that I, I i would advise you now that i've signed a contract so there's nothing you can do about it is i think you should <laughs> put the price up I, I think what you are pushing and i'm sure it's part of the strategy to, to build build the you know the the, the audience that you've got and, and the user base but i i think you could justify putting price up. okay by um, how much <laughs> well I, I i would probably pay double what you've charged us let's put it that way and i know i have to say yeah and, and i'm on tape saying it now so you know the next time around if, if the price is double i can't really go back on that but i i, I would because you can always if you need to discount back down but i i, I look at what the value that you're bringing um this for when we were looking at the price was never ever once discussed is it is is, is the price right it was a the price isn't the problem it was timing um, have we got the people? Have we got a few other things going on, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, it's really interesting feedback, and pricing is something we we talk about so often. Um, and I guess it's it's almost to our detriment that we are we are cheap. But we we went to market with the with penetration in mind. You know, we wanted yeah. to get to, get to 100 customers very very quickly because we know that probably the the biggest you, you'll know this. That there's most the, as much as we talk about marketing and all the different things we can do, digital marketing offline marketing the, the number one thing is is referrals it's word of mouth marketing so we wanted to get to a certain amount of customers so that we we had buzz in the market we had people talking about us people saying good things we had case studies to send to people when they asked for more information all of these things we needed and the way we did that was to to have penetration pricing we we probably are due to revisit our pricing and um, yeah I, I will. Yeah. Uh, I will make a note. <laughs> there you go. So, and that's 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 coming from someone who has just been is a customer, and and I I, I would have paid more to to have it if I if I needed to. I clearly wasn't going to say that to you while we were in negotiation, because you know. <laughs> no, obviously not. I, I have a job myself. I need to do reasonably well to keep. Um, but just yeah, I, I, yeah, there you go. The value that I think you bring. I used to look at um, you know, Hootsuite, Buffer, Sprout, Social, all these people, and be like, we're never going to get to those heights. But actually now our, our sort of our mindset's changed and we're, we're saying, well, we want to be the Hootsuite for B2B marketers. But we are very, very clear on our journey. We're a B2B marketing tool. And we're not like, you know, HubSpot. We're not like Force24. We're not about email marketing. We're not about that. We are a tool to bridge the gap between sales and marketing 
and get you utilizing their networks. And I, I honestly believe that we've somehow, given how crowded marketing tools are, I think we've found something that's not been done before. Um, and I think we did it by accident, which I think is the best thing. <laughs> it solves a real problem. I, and, and what's interesting for me is that very few, I can't think of any actually, uh, although I'm sure they exist, but very few tech things out there do seem to be specific for B2B marketing. It always does feel like it starts in the B2C world and then adapts to B2B. Um, and, and, and I've never subscribed to B2B and B2C are the same. I, I, I accept that people buy from people and it's all people at the end of the day. But I, I, I think, you know, other than maybe buying a house um, or the stuff that goes in the house, in in consumer world, the decision to buy something is, is down to one person. In the B two B world, it could be down to ten. Um, yeah, absolutely. And as as you proved by introducing me to every member of your team. <laughs> well, you, you know, you know, these are the these are the way. But but it's but it, but that I, I I suspect I'm not the only one. They might not have all had a demo the same way you did. But I, even if it was just one or two of us had a demo and the three or four of us had then had a discussion around it it still would have been a, a group decision as to whether we, we go with it or not. And, and there's some other stuff that we're looking at at the moment where maybe we're, maybe we're, maybe we're harsh. Maybe we are, we are the only ones, but I've always been of the, the kind of the mindset that as the leader of the marketing organization, there's no point in me buying a tool because I like it and then trying to tell the people who are in my team to go and use it because they might have better ideas or they might not want to use it or they've used something different in the past that works. So, so actually by, making it a, a collective conscious to this is a tool that we all believe can help us be better at our jobs. Um, then they use it, you get the buy-in, you get the adoption. Um, CRM is probably one of the greatest examples of it's forced on people. You know, I, I have a way of working and then you've brought in a CRM and now you've changed the way I work. That's that, that can slow someone down and, and, and your best salesperson can go from being the best to the worst because you're trying to change the way they do things instead of involving them in creating what that looks like. All well intended, don't get me wrong, but why would you go out of your way to put barriers in front of your most successful salespeople? It's just... Oh, I'm with you. And if, if, if only there was a call system that let them record their calls and automatically... I know, I know. I've heard of one. It begins with C. Um, <laughs> yeah, people should check it out. I think Cloud Call brings it back. Um, <laughs> good. Nicely done. Nicely put in there. See, that's how it works. That's how it works. You see that, and that is sales and marketing coming together as one. Um, and uh, and that that actually seems like a really good place to to to, to, to go out on. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. I actually really enjoyed it. Sorry if I rabbit on a bit. No, it's uh, brilliant. Really, really great story. Great product. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time out today. Thank you ever so much. Catch you soon. No, no, no. Cheers, Cheers, mate. Bye.